experience. Again, good morning, and keep that open, and uh, ask. Uh, and you've got the um, our brain's gone. Uh, talk notes will show you where we're going. Great, let's ask God for God's help as we come to this passage now. Father, we do feel the challenge of these words, even as they were read. And we ask for your Spirit's help now. Give us soft hearts to hear, uh, hear well from Jesus, and uh, for the Spirit's work in our lives as we leave. That He would be a work in changing us. We look to you now for your help. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Zoe has uh, started to think about the future, started to think about her retirement and uh, wants to top up her pension, and so she's looked at all the various ways of um, saving, investing, looked at all the different ISAs, and after lots of research, has made that point around, right? start putting monthly money into stocks and shares ISA, hoping that, to, I say, top up her pension when that time arrives. Uh, and, and because she spent so much time thinking about it, looking into it, actually she gets a bit consumed and caught up by it. And they're tracking the progress each and every day. Oh, it's gone up by a percent. Oh, it's gone down oh, by 0.4%. And, uh, and follows it and follows it. And has really come a bit consumed by it all. Or Timothy. Uh, a teenager. And has their heart set on the, ne- the latest PlayStation. All they wanted... Ooh. Oh. All they want... All they want is double my friends. All they want is the latest PlayStation. And then if they get that latest PlayStation with the games they want, then they're going to be happy. Life is going to be sorted. And so they save up and save up. They store away birthday money, Christmas money. Boom, they've got their PlayStation. And for a month, it is amazing. And then they realize all the games that they haven't got. But I want that game too, and I want that game. And then Xbox released their latest console. Oh no, and now they want the Xbox. And so they've got to start saving up again and again and again, and it goes round. Ellie, she set up her own business, and the business is doing really, really well. It's taking off, in fact. So, so much so, she's starting to have to think about expansion and bringing other people on board and where the business might go next. And, and over time, it's just become the be all and end all. Family, church life. Totally squeezed out. Well, Daniel, you, Daniel, he doesn't want that much, but he just wants a little bit more. Just wants that slightly ever improving lifestyle. You know, I just want that bonus at work because then just could get just a slightly better car. I just want to get that that pay rise so I can go to a slightly better supermarket. Not much, but just a bit more. Now, of course, they're all made-up people. Um, but I imagine there have been something, some element of those people that has struck a chord with you. Because our, it seems like our heart's natural inclination is towards more. Wherever we are, we want more. Something extra. And that is what Jesus warns us against in today's passage. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing the danger of religious hypocrisy and the importance of fearing God. And at first reading, this might feel like a jolting change of topic to move on to covetousness and money. But it's not actually that big a jump, because this section through Luke's Gospel, Jesus is warning his followers 
of dangers, of things that might distract them and indeed derail them from following him. And so in chapter 12, verse 2, uh, 12, verse 1, it was beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Watch out for hypocrisy that, of, uh, of religious hypocrisy that could consume you and take you away. And now in chapter 12, verse 15, it's this warning against covetousness. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. These series of warnings that will have disastrous consequences in our spiritual life if they're ignored. Because again, both these warnings here point us to the future, to life after death, and frames our current thinking and attitudes and actions in that framing. So the warning, is there on your sheets, here's our first point. What is the warning that Jesus gives? It's a warning to guard against all covetousness. <clears throat> Excuse me, it came about because uh, one of the men in the vast crowd that we saw last week who was straining in to listen to Jesus, one of them calls out. Verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I'm told that would have been a fairly common situation or request in that culture. The inheritance would have all gone to the eldest son. And then it would have been the eldest son's responsibility to distribute fairly. You can imagine, it probably didn't always work like that. And so people coming to, to teachers, to rabbis, it's how Jesus was addressed, teacher, and asking them to adjudicate on the subject would have been quite normal. But this man, he, he wasn't looking for a, an arbitrator who was going to come and judge the facts and then make a judgment. No, no, this man just wanted someone to come inside with him and tell his older brother what to do. Right? To tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus isn't interested in arbitrating between people's disputes. So verse 14, But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and arbitrator over you? No, Jesus, he cares about hearts. He cares about hearts, and so that is what he speaks to. Verse 15, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. We don't tend to use the word covetousness uh, very often these days. Really, it, it means greed. That's what we're more familiar with. It means greed. It's that desire to have more. It's that yearning to have what I don't have. And it's warned against numerous times in both the Old Testament and the New. And this is what Jesus warns against here. Now it's possible that, in fact, both of these brothers involved were in danger of covetousness, of, of greed. You know, the older brother, who wouldn't share the inheritance because he wanted it all for himself. And then you had the younger brother, who say, look, I want my share of the inheritance, give it to me. And I think this highlights the warning to us that this danger of, of um, not hypocrisy, not last time, this danger of covetousness applies both to the haves and the have-nots, to use that terminology. This danger of covetousness applies equally to those who have very little and to those who have a lot. Because those with a lot 
perhaps have experienced a bit of what money can buy. And they've started to see actually what a bit more money could buy. And there's that danger of those who have a lot just wanting that, that next step. But equally those who have very little. How easy it is to think, if only I had, then I would be happy and I'll be comfortable. If only I had this. See, covetousness is a danger not only to the wealthy, it's danger for us all. Because the covetous heart is never satisfied. This is the thing, that those wants might be small, and yet it is so easy that those small wants can lead to dissatisfaction within our hearts. And it's so easy for us to think, yeah, I just want a little more. But when we get that little more, well, then there is a new more. Just to illustrate this, I don't know how you view your personal income. Um, I came across a fascinating study uh, done this year. NatWest Bank did a study this year. Uh, And its conclusion was many UK earners don't realise how well off they are. So it's 27% of those earning £100,000 or more annually would describe themselves as not very or not at all wealthy. Over a quarter of people earning over £100,000 don't consider themselves to be wealthy. But it's not just those top earners. Um, Fascinatingly found that actually those who earned up to £26,000 a year thought that a salary of £50,000 to £75,000 a year was a marker of wealth. So if you're only less than £26,000, you think, well, £50,000 to £75,000, that's wealth. But those earning between £26,000 and £60,000 well, the benchmark goes up. They thought 75 to 100,000 pounds. That was the marker of wealth. Do you see how it illustrates that it doesn't so matter, doesn't so much matter where the starting point is. It's always that that one above. That's that security. That's wealth. That's the danger of greed, of of wanting more. It seems like always what we think will make us comfortable and wealthy is always just that next step away. Now Jesus' warning is against all covetousness. So it's not simply bigger barns that we're going to look at at the moment. It's not simply wages. The danger may be holidays or experiences. It could be gadgets. It could be home improvements. It could be cars. It could be clothes. There are going to be different things for all of us that we just want that bit more and, so, and it's such an important thing that Jesus gives in verse 15 that, that double warning. I don't know if you, you spotted it. And he said to them, take care and be on your guard. Take care. Know that that danger is real. Know that that danger is there. And be on your guard against it. You know, like a sentry guarding a, a camp, looking out for, those, for that trouble and being ready and prepared to defend. Or security guards doing doing the same. We are to take care, to watch out, to be on our guard against this covetousness. Jesus gives an initial reason in verse 15. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Jesus says that it's not true that an abundance of possessions means a greater abundance of life. Let me say that again because it is so important. Jesus says it's not true that an abundance of possessions 
means a greater abundance of life. And I stress that because that is the underlying message of basically all advertising. We are told again and again and again, every day, every bit of advertisement you see is basically saying, your life will be better if you have this. Jesus says it is not true. And he's going to make it plain why that is the case. Brothers and sisters, greed, that, that endless pursuit of more is one of the greatest obstacles and greatest dangers for our spiritual lives. Take care. Be on your guards. Now to do that means, means to think about it, to be aware. I imagine that even as we've been speaking this morning, you've had different areas in your mind where you can see these, these things in yourself. If you haven't yet, then I beg you to go away this afternoon and spend a bit of time and pray and ask God to show you. It means being aware of those dangers and knowing yourself, knowing what those particular dangers are for you is so important. If you're not sure, another thing that might well be helpful to you, take a look at your finances. Where, where is your money going? That will show you, again, may well indicate to you where those dangers lie. Be on your guard. Take care and be on your guards against all covetousness. And after the warning, Jesus then uh, illustrates the point. He, he gives a parable, an example of someone who doesn't heed this warning. An example of someone who gives over, themselves over to covetousness. And so in our second point on our headings, it's covetousness exposed. It shows us what often goes on underneath, what, what is going on in the heart of someone who is, who's greeds for more. And uh, the main character of this parable is a rich fool. You, you, indeed, you will see that the ESV heading, and, and often call this the parable of the rich fool. And indeed, this man was rich, but this man's problem wasn't that he was rich. This man's problem that he was a fool, a covetous fool. That's why you can see the, the heading on my talk again. It's not the rich fool, it's this covetous fool. Because the Bible is full of rich people, many, many people, rich people, but who use their riches to serve God and to serve others. And so the problem isn't so much being rich, this man's problem is that he was a fool. And indeed, to lay that challenge a bit more strongly upon us, almost all of us in this room would be counted as rich by world standards found a website this week, you can do it. I don't quite know how they work it out, so I wouldn't like go to the stake over these stats. But, but I typed in a few examples. As an, as an individual, if you earn £65,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of earners in the world. 1%. Okay, that's 60 grand, that's quite a lot. Okay, let's take a 25-year-old earning minimum wage, working 40 hours a week that person would be in the top 6% of incomes in the world. Now it changes if you have children, but so if you had a family, two adults, two children, a combined salary, annual salary of £60,000 a year, that puts you in the top 12.5% in the world. We are all, almost all of us, if not all of us, are, are rich by world standards. But the thing isn't the amount of money, it's the attitude towards it. And that's really what is exposed here in this parable. 
So what is his covetousness? How do we see that? Verse 18. Uh, no, it's not. Verse 16. And he, Jesus, told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Okay, what's the problem with this man? Well, the first little highlight is that he's a rich man and yet he wanted more. He's a rich man, but he wanted more. And he had a really good year. He had a bumper crop. And he had this conundrum. It won't fit in my barns. What's he going to do with it? Well, he's got a good head for business. That's probably why he's rich already. And he makes the perfectly logical, sensible business decision. Verse 18, he's, Look, I'm going to turn my barns down, I'm going to build bigger ones. But there is a clue here that the man's attitude towards wealth is not what it should be. Okay, it's not so much the building of bigger barns that's the problem, it's his attitude. And I don't know if you noticed when I read it, but did you see in his monologue the repetition of I am my? I am my. So the land produced, uh, verse 17, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will, do, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and my <coughs> goods. You see that my, my, my? He thinks in terms of ownership rather than stewardship. He thinks that all these things are his, and if they are his, well then he is, they are to be used for himself, for his own pleasure and purposes. He doesn't see that actually these things are, have been entrusted to him and given to him by God. No, my, my, my. And then made even more explicitly, you were given an insight into his thinking in verse 19. He goes on to say, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You see, that covetous heart hungers for more. It hungers for security, for comforts, and for pleasure. And, And he sought to secure those things for himself without any reference to God. Soul, you have ample goods laid up. You've got that security. You've got that security for a long time. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Give yourself over to rest, to ease, to comfort, to pleasure. And all apart from God. He's a self-made man and he's going to enjoy himself. And eat, relax, eat, drink, be merry. I think sums up our culture pretty well. But, verse 20, But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? And it takes one word to see what God thinks of this man. Fool. Now, a fool in the Bible uh, has nothing to do with someone's intellect. A fool in the Bible is somebody who doesn't know God and lives their life without reference to him. And this is the problem, the main problem for this man, is he fails to take God into account. God says, fool, 
This night your soul is required of you. Now that word required is a word that would have been used for a banker calling in their loans. <coughs> no, fool, this night you're going to die. This man doesn't realise that all these things that he thinks he owns, he doesn't even re- really own them. And he doesn't even own himself. Now his life, to put it this way, is on loan from God. God has given every single person life on this earth which is to be used to enjoy him and to be used to serve him. And this man makes no reference to God. He thinks it's all his. He's a fool. And that that very night in the story, a man dies. And and God ends with this question uh, at the end of verse 20. uh, And these things you've prepared... Whose will they be? You know, we, we use this saying all the time, don't we? You can't take it with you. Can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. Even this man at the beginning of the story that kicked all this off. So he got his inheritance. If he got it, fantastic. But sooner or a little bit later, he's going to leave that inheritance to someone else. Jesus here is, is not... He's not saying that possessions in and of themselves are bad, but that endless pursuit of them is pointless. Because one day sooner, again, or a little bit later, you're going to leave them behind. And this man in the story, he shows himself to be materially wealthy, but spiritually destitute. Generally, we don't on this earth have, have as long as we would like. I was talking to a friend a little while back who was a teacher and he had a colleague who he knew and respected well and this man had taught, like, worked really hard in this school and he'd worked and saved up and he had grand plans for his retirement and um, he had plans of different places he was going to travel and how he was going to use his time and within days of him retiring he had a heart attack and died when God calls in that loan on your life what good are the possessions you have going to be then? We're all going to have to give our account of our lives before God. And all of the money in the world could never save anyone from God's judgment. On that day, what are all those things you worked so hard to, to squirrel away? What, what good are they going to be then? Don't be a fool. Be on your guard against greed. Watch out for those attitudes that we see here displayed in that parable. Those attitudes of selfishness. It's I, I, my, me. Watch out for that attitude of self-sufficiency, of depending on the riches and the possessions for security rather than God. Watch out for that attitude of just satisfying all my desires. Don't be a fool. Watch out. And why not be covetous? Well, what does this parable teach us? It teaches us that you may have plans for your future, but God's plans may well be different. You may die tonight. It teaches us that you can't take those possessions and those things with you, and that you won't be able to depend on those possessions when you stand before God. Helplessness is exposed. But but what is the, the solution? Well, part of the solution, part of the answer is to be on our guard against it. To know that it's a danger and to stand uh, and to be aware to fight against it. 
But it's not simply, a, Jesus doesn't simply give us a, a negative warning, as it were. Just watch out for that. He gives us something positive too. And the solution we'll find at the end is, is to be rich towards God. Be rich toward God. So Jesus concludes, having told the parable, he says to the crowd in verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here is uh, ultimately what is going to guard us against covetousness. is to not uh, store up treasures for ourselves now, uh, but rather to be rich toward God. What does that mean? What does it mean to be rich toward God? This is something I've pondered much throughout this week. Well, and something pointed out, often when we're trying to think what something means, to think of the opposite helps bring it to light. So what is the opposite of being rich toward God? Well, the opposite is being rich towards self. Isn't that what this man in the parable illustrated? The man in the parables was rich towards himself. He stored up treasures here on earth for himself. Being rich to himself meant that he thought of himself much, didn't he? He thought about himself and he sought to live for his own treasure and own pleasure. Being rich toward God, therefore, is the opposite of those things. Well, no, sorry, it's the same thing, but with God as the object. It, it, it means thinking much of God. It means um, making much of God. It means arranging our lives and everything we have for God. Again, this isn't about how much money we have. It is about how we use what we have. Is it going to be for ourselves or for God? There are rich, and indeed there are poor people who are rich towards God because they use what they've been given for God and for others. Again, the Bible gives us numerous examples. Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, who we saw a few weeks back, using their house, using it to serve Jesus. Numerous other well, um, well-resourced women supporting Jesus' ministry we find in the Gospels. The book of Acts, we find many more using wealth for God and God's purposes. But whether we have much or whether we have little, the key thing here, as we've seen, is attitude being rich towards God, treasuring him and wanting to um, serve him. And again, it's using what we have. It's using not only money, but yes, money, our time, our energy, all those things. Being rich toward God is to prioritizing him over being rich towards ourselves. Let me read just a paragraph from uh, a commentary that I read, which I think sums up the, the danger well. He says, we can enlarge our savings and build huge accounts to hold it all. We can plan our retirement so that we will have nothing to do but change positions in the sun. We can plan our menus for the twilight years so that nothing but the finest cuisine crosses our lips. We can live as if if this is all of life. We can laugh our way to the grave only to discover at the end that we have nothing and are in God's eyes, fools. 
That's the danger. That's the warning. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. Treasure God. Prioritize him above all. Let's pray. That would be us. Our Father God, we um, hear this challenge, hear this call, and we pray that you would indeed highlight and illustrate in our own hearts where we face that danger. Please would you highlight these things in order that we can be on our guard against them. Please, Father, guard us particularly from those heart attitudes. Would we live all of our lives in relation to you? Please would we be rich towards you rather than ourselves. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.